Okay, I'm quite keen now to bring to rest the uh, study of the Epistle of Jude. Hopefully I'll be able to do that today, or maybe by next week. So we can then go, having learned um, a lot about the attendant dangers to Christianity and to our personal growth as Christians and our faith. We now want to le- uh, I want us then to learn about the armor of God, which is what has led to all the study that Paul said uh, you know, Paul exhorts us to put on the full armor of God because um, this isn't something I hear Christians talk about a lot. I mean, people uh, use the they use the earlier part of the of that epistle of uh, Ephesians six uh, verses ten to eighteen. People use the earlier part of it. They love to when people want to sound super spiritual. They tell you about oh, we wrestle not against flesh and blood and all that palaver. But um, <laughs> I I never really hear people go further then into the advice of what he says. I put on the full armor of God from verse thirteen. You know, so that so that you when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. You know, I don't hear people talk about that. You know, from verse 13 to um, 18, people generally ignore because the people who, most of the people who actually talk about this um, principalities and darkness and things like that are generally people who are just trying to polish their own egos and tell you how spiritually powerful they are, how they have this special assignment from God to dethrone Satan from his place. <laughs> I don't know about that. We're told to resist the devil and he will flee from us. None of us has the authority to dethrone him from any place. He's the prince of this world. Even that our Lord Jesus Christ did not attempt to dethrone him from his place. But Jesus resisted him with the word of God and put him in a place because Jesus was God incarnate. He had a very different standing to us. But then he paved the way for us to have the victory. He's given us the victory in that Satan no longer has a hold on us unless we let him. He no longer has a hold on believers. We, we we have been taken out of his hands. If you're a true believer, there is no way you can end up again in the clutches of Satan. I'm not saying he cannot tempt you. I'm not saying he will not try you. I'm not saying he will not distress you. In fact, the more um, those of us who are believers, we, we take the, the hardest hits from Satan. We take the hardest hits. But then we've got the full armor of God to protect us. And then we've got the sword of the Spirit. The only weapon we have of offense is the word of the Spirit, is the sword of the Spirit, rather, which is the word of God. It's not the commands for Satan to go to the abyss and go to no man's land as people waste their time and waste their saliva trying to repatriate Satan all the time, telling him what to do and telling his demons what to do. It's a, that's a whole lot of nonsense. It's very futile. And if it wasn't futile, what is Satan still doing roaming the streets today? What are his demons still doing tormenting people today? It's because those commands mean nothing. They mean absolutely nothing. Nowhere do we see in the in the New Testament where we are told to command Satan about and command his demons about. And people want to tell you, oh yeah, the apostles had the authority, they cast out demons and all that. The apostles had the authority, indeed they did. We do not have that same authority. And people hate it when I say that, because I, I bruise a lot of egos when I say that, because these are people who tell people who, who tell the crowds that follow them all the time, they've got all the authority, and then along comes this ridiculous preacher who says, you do not actually have the authority to remove Satan from his place. And, you know, I get attacked a lot on that. How can you say that? Oh, just because you don't have authority? I don't know what you're talking about. 
I may not be casting out demons, but I thank God for my Christianity. My, I'm standing strong in the faith. My place is, is, is in heaven is settled. My name is written in the book of life. And that's all that counts. That is all that matters to me. Let Satan do what he does. All I know is he has no hold on me. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm a slave to righteousness. And this is what counts. There are people getting all these ridiculous and futile exercises that absolutely do nothing for their faith. There's nowhere we read in the New Testament, actually, where the apostles, with all the authority and power for the special assignment to which they were uh, called, we do not read of them casting demons out of believers. But it's normal practice today where believers are casting demons out of fellow believers. I don't know where they get the demons from. But if you are truly, if you truly belong to Christ, I do not see where the room is in your heart or in your life for demons to possess you. It is not possible. Why is it not possible? Because Jesus said, once we are his, once we belong to him, he seals us with the Holy Spirit. Now, he said, the Holy Spirit will be with you and it will live in you. Now, I do not see the Holy Spirit playing co-tenant with demonic spirits. I don't see how that can happen. We know, reading in the New Testament, that when demonic spirits saw Jesus or saw the apostles come in, they fled in their presence. They even pleaded with the Lord for mercy. So, under no circumstance, Jesus did not perform deliverances on the apostles before they became apostles, yet they were ordinary people like you and I. They were ordinary. There was nothing extraordinary about them. There was nothing special about them. In fact, they were the people, they were the most ordinary people in, in the world. They came from the most ordinary walks of life. And we don't see that Jesus performed uh, deliverances on them before they could become apostles or disciples. But that's done. I mean, I know some churches today where before you can become a member, you have to go through deliverances. They tell you they're casting out the demons that were in you before you came. You are delivered by the word of God. The minute you understand, you hear the message of the gospel, but that's the problem. How many people are hearing the message of the gospel today? How many people are actually preaching the message of the gospel today? That's where the problem is. Because that is how you're delivered from whatever it is that's had a hold on you all your life. Now, something's got a hold on all of us, you know, before we come to know Christ. I was full of worldly ambition. I was full of a lot of uh, lascivious living, you know. I was full of a lot of... Uh, drunkenness yeah that was part of my practice you know i was full of all sorts of things i you know it's amazing that someone like me can become a servant of god it's it is amazing and it is that very humbling thought that keeps me faithful to my calling because quite honestly the life i lived before i don't know i would have thought i would have been dead on some motorway years and years and years ago with the kind of foolishness i used to live in Driving from, from from London all the way to Hull in the in North England, five hours of driving, drunk as a newt, with a whole lot of us in the car, music as loud as anything, uninsured drivers, and every oh please, I can't I can't even bear the thought of it all. It's amazing that I'm alive. It is an absolute miracle that I'm, that I'm alive. Quite honestly, because I don't see that kind of life survival in it, and yet I came out of it. Everything intact and still whole. My liver's not destroyed. It's, it's just amazing. And if God can then use me and save a wretch and a fool like me in that kind of way, who am I not to be faithful to his calling? And for that reason, I've forsaken the whole world and stuck to Jesus. So where people don't like the things I teach or preach, I don't really care. My faithfulness, my loyalty is to the Lord. 
So we have this problem where people do not actually hear the message of the gospel, the truth. If you hear the truth, the true message of the gospel, and you admit that you are a sinner in need of forgiveness and, and salvation, and you cry out to Jesus Christ and tell him to take hold of you, henceforth my life, the life you, for, for which you died, that life you paid for with your blood, I put back in your hands, Lord, to do with it as you will and as you will endure. That is when you are delivered. That is when Satan is holding you is loosened. In that he no longer has you as his possession. Now you belong to Christ. He will then continue his pursuit of tormenting you to shipwreck your faith and harassing you in very many ways. And he will do all those things. He will throw temptation your way and remind you of your past life so that things like doubt, you know, will be there. You're thinking, am I really a Christian? It'll make you doubt your salvation. And for all that he does, all the torture, he has now, he has got a lot of servants in the church to promote all this foolishness and things that are meant to, teachings that are meant to shipwreck your faith. So enter the false teachers and false prophets. That is exactly what they are there for. Satan having come to the conclusion and realization that he cannot destroy the church of Christ from the outside has now come and set out, set out to destroy it from within. And that is why we have lots and thousands of maybe even millions of things that call themselves churches, groups, cults and things that call themselves churches that do not even belong to Christ. They throw the name of Christ about in them, yes, but they do not belong to Christ. And this is exactly what Judah has been talking about. There's men who have slept in, there's apostates and false teachers and false uh, prophets, whatever it is they choose to call themselves. But they are there. They are in the church. Peter warned. He said, they are coming. Jude said, they are here. And they are. And every day, I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? When we look at the phenomenal growth of church groups in the world, it would ordinarily be an exciting thing for us because we think that's it. That's it. Christianity is winning. Christianity is very popular. We are doing very well. We are establishing the territory. But are we? Are we really? It's amazing, isn't it? Because now we're getting more and more oppressed by society. We get Christianity. True Christianity is getting, well, Christianity generally is getting more and more oppressed. We're getting more and more restricted you know, now we expect it to fall into political, fall under political correctness and all those things. And we see a lot of atrocities being performed by pastors. I'm sick of it. Every time I read papers, it's one pastor or the other being done for fraud, one pastor or the other being convicted for rape, one pastor or the other being convicted for 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 sexual uh, immorality of of the vilest sort, for murder, for it's amazing. It is amazing. Now, these are not servants of God, but what do they do? They carry the name of Christ, and they call themselves servants of the Church of Christ. Why? To malign the name of our Lord. To bring into disrepute the, the, the name of our Lord, the body of Christ, which is the Church. That is their purpose. They don't care what they're doing. They're not there to serve Christ. They are Satan's envoys. They're for evil. They're for bad. And we're inundated with them everywhere. Everywhere. Do you know, I um, uh, uh, I recently, some weeks back, joined, um, I signed up to Facebook, ever so reluctantly, only on the advice of many people. Oh, come on, you know, oh, there's so many Christian people, there's so many Christian groups. Oh, okay, okay. So I thought, all right, then let's see what it's like. I think I, I could only do it for, for so many weeks. I've, I've had to 
close the account because I can't I can I can't handle the things I I read, I hear, the arguments I've had to go into, the debates I've had to enter into with people who insist they're servants of God and whose ideologies are absolutely bizarre to this to say the least. And I just thought, I mean quite honestly, I thought within myself, do you know what? You do not, you have no business being on this thing. I met some fantastic people there also. I must say, I met some really beautiful Christians, which is a shame that, you know, I had to break all that kind of communication altogether somehow. I'm hoping somehow to be able to reach those people, you know, in a, by another means. But I just find a lot of dodgy ideologies come on there, a lot of pride, a lot of arrogance, a lot of puffed up knowledge, vain knowledge, meaningless things. I just couldn't cope with it. I thought, no, I'm sorry, I don't belong in this nonsense. I, I wasn't called to be doing this. I mean, th- this is just not... I'm getting into arguments with people who have no clue what saving faith is, yet they tell you, you know, well, don't tell me this, I'm a servant, I know that I, I, uh, my purpose is to destroy Satan and to wreck them, and all sorts of ridiculous things like that. And then you get those who come there and insist you can lose your salvation. And then you get those who come in there and insist Christians are possessed by demons. I just couldn't handle all that nonsense. I had to sign off the thing like, you know what? You guys uh, do your thing and let me do my thing. I'll just stay where the Lord has asked me. And I've always said, I'm not a modern day preacher. I, I, I don't belong in this age, but this is the age that God has put me in. So it makes me feel rather isolated, quite honestly, in a lot of situations. But I don't mind because the reason I'm in the world is to bring glory to God and not to any man. Nor am I here to impress anybody. So that's the thing. Satan then has got his servants in the church for the simple purpose of destroying what Christianity ought to be and what Christianity is. Sheep-wrecking people's faith, pulling them back, knocking them down and destroying their faith. Why? Because it's determined to take as many as it can with him to hell. So in this regard, we're studying. We, we go now to from verse 12 of Jude and see what Jude has to say about these people. He has he's been talking about them. Is we've been we've studied from verses one uh, from verse one to eleven so far. So take it from verse 12. Jude says, "These are spots in your love feasts, while they feast with you without fear, while serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead." Pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, forming up their own shame, wandering stars, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. This is how strongly Jude felt about this people. This is how strongly he felt about the nonsense they're doing, the evil they're doing. Now, Peter echoes the same thing. In Second Peter uh, chapter 2, from verse 17, Peter says, These men are springs without water and mists driven by a storm. Black as darkness is reserved for them. For the mouth empty boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of sinful human nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, and are again entangled in it and overcome, They are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them the proverbs are true. A dog returns to his vomit and a sow that is washed goes back to a wallowing in the mud. The apostles spoke very strongly 
about the presence of apostates and these false teachers or false servants of God in the church. Today, not many people want to talk about them. You know, you mentioned it. Say, oh, don't judge me. Who are you? Oh, don't speak evil about the men of God. Don't speak. Shut up. We are not told anywhere in the Bible to keep quiet and leave the judgment to God. I cannot judge anybody because I cannot say in the final analysis, you know what, that's it. You're going to have the, you going straight to hell and you, the, the, the fire is going to be heated up three times on your account. No. But we are called to righteous judgment. Because unless we do, unless we name and shame these people in our midst, these false people in our midst, which was exactly what the apostles did, they named and shamed them. They didn't hide it. Paul said exactly what he did, what you knew about Hymenaeus, about Alexander. He named them. He named those who had fallen back in the world. He, he, they had no qualms about it. And why should we today? We go, no, 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 yeah, you're not operating in love. You're not. What kind of love is that? If I'm going to leave other people perishing under the clutches of evil servants, I'm going to leave innocent brothers and sisters perishing under the clutches of these evil servants and their false messages because I want to exhibit some kind of love whereby I'm not judgmental to the world. Who cares about the world? Why must we keep quiet? If we don't want each other of the attendant dangers, just like Jude did, like, listen, in your midst, there are these people there. They are there to wreck, to, to, to destroy your work. They are there to shipwreck your faith. They are there to throw confusion. They are there to malign the word of God, to bring down, to, to introduce repute the name of our sovereign Lord Jesus Christ. They said all those things. And they warned about all those things. If we don't keep these warnings active, because the situation is even worse now. The situation is worse even today. And if we don't keep these warnings going, then we are asking for trouble. And already there's a lot of trouble around already because these people are here and, and, and they're performing all this evil. Paul, the apostle, said in tears when he was saying his farewell to the Ephesian elders, he said in tears he was telling them that he was afraid that once he had departed, there would be some evil people coming along there to destroy them. And it bothered him a lot. It bothered him a lot because it, it, it bothered him. He said he was, he was weeping when he was saying a goodbye to them. Yes, he was weeping because he was going to miss them and all that. But even then, you know, because we have it in um, what's it? Acts in Acts of the Apostles, Acts, sorry, the book of Acts, chapter 20. From verse um, 29, Paul said, I know that after I leave, Savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Even from your own numbers. So we don't, we, I've said this over and over again and I always say it. We don't have a problem with people who attack the church from the outside. No. Do you know what? I'm not terrified of Muslims or any other religions. As I'm terrified of fellow pastors. And fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Who we now missed. Numbered amongst us as believers and saints of Christ. Pose such a terrible danger. To the, to, to the brethren. I'm not terrified of people who attack us from the outside. It's not a problem. It's those within that are the danger. 
And this is exactly what Paul said. For, for three years, night and day, I've been warning you people with tears. I'm afraid they will not spare the flock. And they do all those things, I said, to gather, to, to draw away disciples after them. And is that not the state of the church today? Where people have got more loyalty to their pastors than they have to Christ? People in the church all play holy, behave themselves because pastor's watching. And they go back out in the world where the eyes of God are all over the earth and watching every action, every thought, and every word being said. And the people are behaving like animals. And they call themselves Christians. They are there full of sexual immorality, climbing into bed with other people's wives, climbing into bed with other people's children, homosexual activities, even though they've got wife and children, pretending they are normal where they are possessed by the spirit of, of sodomy. They're there defrauding people, defrauding the name of Christ. A lot of people do that. So many frauds being committed in the name of, of, of Christianity. Or they call themselves pastors and in the name of the church, they're performing a lot of ridiculous things. Pastors being caught drug smuggling. And as far as they know, and the church members also being caught drug smuggling. The kind of violence that people do. The wickedness that goes through people's minds. The activities. You go in a marriage. A, a couple coming to church. They hold each other's hands. Standing there, you know, next to each other. Both singing and raising holy hands, supposedly. Together, worshipping and doing all that in church. When they get, the minute they step out of church, they don't talk to each other again. And they get home and they get into fights and arguments. They hate each other. But they come to church and they, they act like the loving Christian husband and wife. Who do you think you're fooling? Who do you think you're fooling? People do all those things. We have people who are in church and playing holy and all that. They're probably given given all kind of titles, pastor, deacon, whatever. And these are people who are tired of the church are addicted to pornography and gambling and drunkenness. All those things. Lost in very many forms and shapes. But they come into church where the pastor's eyes are upon them and they play holy. They're afraid of the pastor, but they have no fear of Christ. Because if they had any fear of God, they would understand that God sees all things. And God, it is God. It is he who authorizes our names in the book of life. That book is God's book. So whereby you may impress pastor here and daddy Gio or whatever the title you call them. You may impress them. You may be in their good books. Are you in the book of life? But that's the trouble we have today. These people do all these things to gather for themselves disciples after themselves. Their own disciples. And what are these disciples to them? Nothing but meal tickets. That's all they are. Meal tickets. People who bring their tithes and offerings in and their seed offerings and all their monies. And that's all they are. So, of course, pastor tells them everything nice to make them feel good. And they drop, drop the money off and that's it, you know. That's all they are. That's what the disciples are there for. And they hail them. How many people consider they, they, they want to dress like their pastors? We've got that all over the place. People even wearing the same haircut as the pastor. But how many people want to be like Jesus Christ? How many want to be clothed in the righteousness and holiness of Christ-likeness? How many people strive each day to align themselves with the life of Christ? Aspire to be like Christ in all, in all humility and gentleness and loving kindness and mercifulness and, 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 and uh, meekness. All those things, all that Christ was as a man. We see the entire list in the Beatitudes. Everything Jesus said there was exactly who he is. Look at the fruit of the of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. I think it's from verse 19 or so. 
to, to, to 26 or something like that. Galatians chapter 5. Anyway, you see them, the two lists. Since, you know, the evil seeds of the carnal nature and the, and the fruit of the Spirit. Every, the fruit of the Spirit depicts everything that Jesus is. How many people aspire to do that? Because while I was saying about my exploit on my experience on Facebook, someone raised a question once that uh, someone uh, posted something about, you know, a true Christian cannot be a sinner and a sinner cannot be a Christian. And everybody was adding their comments. And, you know, I quoted a few of the verses where it says that uh, in First John chapter 3, for uh, for instance, where it says that this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the, of the devil are. Uh, one who belongs to God can no longer sin because God's spirit remains in him. God's seed remains in him and all that. I quoted all those things. And another two verses or so. And you should have seen the attacks that came along on those of us who subscribe to that school of thought that Christians cannot remain in sin. Oh yeah, you holier than thou. Oh yeah, you saying you're perfect. Yeah, Jesus speak about hypocrites like you. This is why I said I'm sorry, but this kind of nonsense isn't what I'm called to do. <laughs> you know, it's just ridiculous. But indeed, this is how you know the authentic Christian. A person who detests sin. It doesn't matter what people think of you. People's opinion of you don't matter. But you are very concerned about the fact that, about the truth. The fact that God's eyes are always on you. And you conduct your life in an orderly manner in that way. Not come to church and play holy because pastor's watching and other Christians are watching. So you play holy. And then you get out there and behave in a manner that even unbelievers will not behave in. You'd be shocked to know that. Yes, some Christians do things that even the unbelievers will find morally challenging. And you find believers doing it. You find pastors doing it. It is a shame. It's a terrible tragedy. And this is what Jude is writing about. Just say, look, there's pots in your love feasts. While the feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. And we just read it. Paul said they're going to come. They're going to come and malign the truth. They're going to come and gather disciples unto themselves. These ministers, these false servants of God, are only there for their own purposes. They tell you other things. It says The Bible says they are sports. You say they are sports in your love feasts. Sports. You know what sports are? Blemishes, Peter calls them. And what they do is stains. They stain on your clothing. So these people are a stain. They are blemish on the clothing of the church of Christ. Because people look at what they do and people generalize and think, yeah, right, you Christians, that's all you all like. Yeah, look at that, yeah. Look at all the homosexuality in the, in, in the Catholic church. <laughs> that's the Christians for you. But those are not Christians. They're not representatives of Christ. But unfortunately, that is how the world sees them. The visible church. That's what the world sees. So the world condemns the church on account of the activities of the impostors in our midst. And we are supposed to keep quiet. If you really love Christ, you will do everything and anything to defend his honor and his glory. And you will not just overlook things and claim, oh, well, you know, oh, I shouldn't judge. The Bible says don't judge. No, what the, what the Bible actually says is by whatever measure you judge, you also will be judged as well. And to that, if you are true, you should be willing to be judged by the standards by which you judge anyone. I don't mind anyone judging me on account of my morality and everything. That's fine. Examine me too. If you find my faults, please say so. Judge me on account of my teaching. If you find it's, it's, it's untrue, please say so. But before you come arguing with me about my teaching and telling me that you've got the power to cast out demons and as such, I don't know what I'm talking about, what you always consider in, the te- in any man's teaching what is the purpose of the teaching? What is the aim? 
And unless you find at one point that my purpose is to bring glory to myself and to elevate myself as some all-powerful, extraordinarily special servant from God, rather than upholding Christ alone as the final authority and the only one whose word must be feared, until you find that kind of fault, just don't bother me with it. You know, (laughs) because what Paul said, Paul said these people do everything to bring disciples unto themselves. In the same way, Jude just said that they are sporting your love feast while they feast with you without fear. And he said their purpose, he said their purpose is to, they serve only themselves. He said they're just serving only themselves. That's all they're there for. And this is what you find is very common with false teachers. Their purpose is to draw crowds unto themselves. The people are attracted to them rather than attracted to Christ. They use the name of Christ as some kind of magic potion. You know, that's what they use Christ for. It's like Christ is their servant. But the whole purpose is them. They had a new revelation from God. They've received a vision from God. They've received a quiet word from God. They've received a a personal prophecy from God. It's all about them, them. And they tell you how many souls they've won, how they delivered that person, how they prayed for this person to get their breakthrough, how they delivered that person. It's all about them, them, them. And then the next emphasis they lay is about you. They lift you up in all kind of falsity flatter you for their own good this is exactly what what, what um jude is saying here he said they do all the, they flatter you peter said exactly the same thing they flatter people for personal gain make you feel good about yourself polish your ego polish it nicely and you feel so good and you feel so cool. So you become an arrogant Christian and easy believers in. Your sin is not addressed. Repentance is not an issue. They just tell you all those things. Just name it and claim it and strut about and walk around. You're a child of the kingdom and tell people that and let the world know and do this and do that. And you want to be big. You must think big. You want to be a millionaire. You must think like one. And of course, you sow seeds accordingly, you know, as a millionaire. You know, start practicing generous you know generous millionaire style of giving start practicing because your breakthrough is imminent they tell you all this nonsense for personal gain while they feed themselves and all these lies you don't get fed because the spiritual food you need which is truth you're not getting it so the flock stays starving and the fasto grows fatter not necessarily i don't mean physically although there are some like that but (laughs) they grow fatter financially egotistically in everything Whilst their flock remain starving, spiritually starving. Will 